Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Acts 12 deals with, in part, as we look at it in our daily lives, Acts 12 deals with our need for fairness deals with it in a godly way. Because we like to say a whole lot. That's not fair. Or sometimes we'll question because we're looking for fairness in our dealings with God and living in this world. Acts 12 helps us to understand that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Even when hardship hits, so as I looked at this, and I waited until the very end to title this, was trying to think what would, what would be a good summary, what would capture well what was happening here in the book of Acts. And I believe what captures that is that title, God is still in control when hardship hits. We have to remember that. See, the church, I mean, when we look at the context of this, they were on a roll. But we do see a repeat pattern here. They are on the roll. We see and hear the miracle power of God at work and demonstrating in grand fashion as he now opens up and, de- and, and actually reveals his plans for the Gentiles, and we see just a massive response. But we also see this move away from Jerusalem, not that God stops dealing with them, but God in his providence is now changing where the hub would be. Peter is moving away from Jerusalem. We see the believers moving away from Jerusalem by God's design. And we see the growth happening in exponential numbers coming out of Antioch, which would become the new hub for the now diverse, ethnically diverse church. Not that God was given up on Jerusalem because he sure wasn't. Not that somehow they took a lesser spot, no, but the highlight and the focus begins to shift. And now this chapter, 12, really, you know, shows and demonstrates this transition from Peter and the saints in Jerusalem to Paul and the saints coming out of Antioch and into the rest of the world. And so as we look at this, I want us to let God deal with it's hard for me. Some, I want us to let God deal with. <clears throat> Our need for things to all fall in line for us to say God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word hits us where you want it to, that our hearts are softened, that our minds are resolute, that we will follow you. I pray for those that don't know you, Father, that this would lead them to come to a saving knowledge, to salvation in you through Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
tell you a story. We were, I was taking a tour then. My, um, I think our youngest was still trying to figure out where he was going to go to school. And so um, I was on this tour for him. He wasn't able to be there, but I was on this tour of Marion University just down the street. We were going through all the buildings and going through the tour. And as we were finishing up, I don't know how the conversation turned that way, but I was walking with the mom and her daughter, you know, as the group progressed. And she just started saying, you know, I really praise the Lord for being here. I, I didn't know why she felt to tell that to me, but it was, I just think, by design. And so we leaned in, tell me why. You know, I want to know why. If, if you are bold enough to tell a complete stranger that you are excited that God has you here, I want to hear that story. And so she begins to talk about how they were on a trip. And being on that trip, she started feeling really bad. She started feeling extremely bad. She started having a pain in her chest. And she started, she said, I felt like I was going to pass out, she said. And she said, actually, I started to. And she said, just as I was at my worst, we saw the hospital sign on the highway, you know. And, 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 and her husband said, I'm getting off here and getting you to the hospital real quick. And they pulled off, she said, and got her to the hospital, got her in, and found out that she had a clot, blood clot that she had passed. And it was moving up toward her heart. And thus, the doctor said, if you had not gotten here when you did, she would have died. And she said, the Lord just had us at the right spot that she could, that her husband could see the hospital sign and that she was delivered. Can I tell you my first response? For those of you that know how my sister under me died a few years ago, right before her 51st birthday, was that she did not know that she had passed a clot and was sitting, had called the hospital and was sitting on her front steps of her, of her townhouse waiting for helped to arrive, and, and as they did, partly in their era, but still within the Lord's providence, they asked her if she could walk. Worst thing to happen, she got up and walked, and the moment she did, she collapsed. And, of course, they got her to the hospital, and two hours from that time, she was in the presence of Jesus. You know what came to my mind when that sister told me that? I said, God, really? You saved her? but you couldn't save Sabrina. And then right behind that, the Lord said, that's because this is what I wanted. And it just calmed me down. And I said to her, you know, with all I had, praise God, sister, I'm so glad the Lord answered that way on your behalf. What God told me that day, which it actually helped me greatly after that, and I see why, the Lord actually reminded me I had your sister all the time. This is what I allowed and chose. And I was able to move on. But you know what it dealt with too? That's not fair, God. That's not fair. Oh, but it's God's plan. Let me read. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. 
he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Remember, he just had one a few chapters before. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. God, that's not fair. You get that line in the beginning? James gets one line. James the, 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 James, the brother of John, was killed by the sword. Now, many of us, to try and make this fit some of our little twisted theology, will say, well, maybe James did something that, 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 that warranted that. These were both two faithful men to Christ who walked with him, who came and were faithfully serving in the church. One gets a one-liner, as he is ushered into the presence of the Lord, and the other gets rescued. And I will tell that for you and I today, that's going to play over in our lives, over and over and over, that God is the one who chooses. We actually see a pattern here happening with the church, and we see it repeatedly. We have the progress. You know, God moves powerfully, and the gospel is proclaim enlarging the kingdom. Let's look at Stephen. Remember, you know, they are, you know, many are coming to faith. You know, Christ is being proclaimed. Whole lot of people being saved. Opposition comes. A godly person who is loved by many stands up to it, you know, in the will of God. And God, in his own providence and wisdom, allows that person or one person or some person to be taken down or out. It causes something to happen. You know, the persecution is squashed. We once again get people that are scattered, and they again begin to see gospel fruit because they are honoring God. And once again, opposition raises up. And we see again, you know, violent opposition comes, and, and once again, someone else who was well-loved. You talk about these were the three that were in the inner circle with Christ. You and I, in some of what's being taught today, would tell us, oh, no, I'm in the inner circle with Christ. Nothing's going to happen to me. You get one line. They talk about you coming home. And it messes with 
how we have portrayed the faith. If I'm faithful and I'm in with the Lord and I'm doing what he says, I'm a king's kid, I'm protected. You are. You're not on your way to hell. You are on your way to an eternity in Christ because you already belong to him. But God never guaranteed how your life would play out. I know this is a tough sermon. It was tough for me as I was reading this. But what God is letting us know, drop fairness and embrace trusting him. Because if God was fair, there'd be no church. If God was fair, I wouldn't be preaching to you. But look, take heart. You wouldn't be listening to me preach. See, some of us think that I'm here because of what I did and how good I've been and how I've turned this around. How I'm, You are here because God isn't fair. As I look at this, this really just reminded me, that scene that I gave you in the beginning. What happens when in God's providence, in hardship, and how do we deal with the fact that he answers one way for some and answers another for others? How do we deal with that? How does the church deal with that? Do they get embittered? Do they begin to walk away? Do they begin to say, wait, hold on, God. Come on. This was James. He was part of the, 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 the Peter, James, and John. And you just let them go out like that? I remember God having to remind me of that when my mother passed. I was 36 years old. Thank God for 36 years. And I remember after a day or two, and I'm simmering in my little feelings, and I said to God, boy, I'm so glad God's mercy is strong and God is not like me because I would have struck me down. I said, God, how, how, how dare? Like, why would, how dare? Why would you take her out so early? How, how dare you? I was like, she was faithful to you. She was, she raised her family. And boy, this voice came strongly in my mind. You act like she didn't need to be saved. What was he telling me? He, I, you, you, you're missing the point. None of you deserve to be here. Anything you have is with an act of mercy. I know this is not an easy one to swallow, but he says there is no deserving from anyone. And I remember later as I grew up past and through it, I was like, oh, Lord, I'm so grateful that you are merciful because that was the dumbest comment that I've made. Out of grief and ignorance. And sometimes even as we deal with other people, people make comments and say things out of grief and ignorance. And we deal with it that way. But as I look at this, what I see in greater fashion is God choosing how his church is going to grow, how he is going to move in the lives of his people, how he is going to grow, how he is going to cause his mission to continue to be unstoppable. And we're seeing it in grand fashion. You know, some would think, wow, they took out James. They took out one of the three pillars. And Jesus was like, I'm the only pillar. Everyone else I brought into this. What are we going to do? And God in his grace shows 
Yes, I allowed that because in a sinful world with his people, sometimes he allows the persecution, the pushing, the hardship. He allows certain things to happen, and he wants us to trust him equally as if he's about to do what he did with Peter. And what he shows us is that he is still in control. He was not out of control with James. He was in control, and he's demonstrating it as we get to Peter. Because as we get there, gospel spreads, success comes, opposition rises, James is taken out, Peter is now on the verge of being taken out. Some believe that what Herod wanted to do, you know, this was the grandson of Herod the Tetric. This was the one Herod, the, 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 the grandfather Herod, because this king was called Herod Agrippa, which he was usually referred to as Agrippa. Luke was wanting to make the tie with the previous Herod, because the previous Herod was the one who was in cahoots to crucify Jesus. And so he went, and also that was the same Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. So granddad was violent in his 35 plus year reign and grandson in his three-year reign was equally as violent. And so we see a world where we have violent people opposed to God and his Christ, opposed to his kingdom, pushing against it, and we are attempting to say, God, what are we going to do? God says, I've got this. I've always had this. But, 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 but hold on, one of your own, he says, I knew about him. But watch what I do with him, and let that encourage you as well. Let James encourage you. I said to myself, when I first started reading and understood this, what do you say to Mrs. James? What do you, what do you say when Peter gets rescued? You say that God is still in control. You don't say it in a cliche way, in, in a, in a cliche way but you still say God is still in control. And so we get here that Peter now is locked down. I put here, look, <clears throat> James, let me back up just for a second. James seems to be dishonored in his mentioning. After all that he's done, I would think in my little human puny mind that he deserves more of a mention than, and he was killed with the sword by this evil dude, Herod. I want to say, God, that's it. But understand, James wasn't in this for recognition, and neither are you. James wasn't seeking to be spoken of well. He was seeking to be honoring to Christ. And so we need to understand our whole mission, whether God acknowledges us publicly or not, is to honor God until we die or leave this earth if he comes before then. And that's hard for us. Because we want to be highlighted. Our society today tells us, look, be great, be known, be recognized. What if you're not? What if God is allowing you to be behind the scenes? And just as you are coming out, he ends it. Is that any different than someone that lives his brother, the complete opposite? James gets killed quickly. 
John lives, they tried to kill him, but couldn't. He lives to a ripe old age. James is mentioned as he was one of the leaders in the church, and then he goes on. John, his brother, the other son of thunder, as they call them, goes on and writes the gospel, three letters, and the book of Revelation. Hold on, wait a minute, God, because that's God's choice. Was James any less faithful? Was he any less spiritual? No, it's God's prerogative. And guess what? You and I have to be okay with that. God will cause some to shine publicly, and God will cause some to just be faithful without shining in the eyes of people at all. But when they stand before the Lord, both of them are well done, good and faithful servant. Both. And to the families. And so we sit here and go, God at work, the song that was sung before I came up, even when we don't see it, he's working. Right? Even when we don't see it. He never stops working. We go, God, we need you to work. God says, I never stop working. If I did, y'all be done. He doesn't stop. And so what we get from here is God is at work. Peter doesn't even know it, but I love it. So the scene unfolds. Peter now was snatched up. The church has got to be like any other group of people would be, boy, they are shocked. And then you, you've got to believe many of them are remembering Stephen. Because remember, this group that has, you know, look, this is in Jerusalem. They remember Stephen. Oh, he was snatched up. And now he's taken out. James is taken out. And they're like, Lord, and they grabbed Peter. And we're going, oh, my goodness, Lord, what are we going to do? And so they do what we should do. I love this. They went into prayer. They went into prayer at John Mark's, you know, parents' house, his mother's house. They went in and just began to pray. One of the places where they met as believers, which is where John Mark, Mark, who wrote the book of Mark by the dictation of Peter, got to be known in that circle. It's because church met at his mom's house. What an upbringing for him. That's another message at another time. But what an upbringing for him. So they're meeting and they're praying. And as they are acknowledging that they need God's help, God is working seemingly. And so Peter is, it's the picture. And now it is during the Passover too, which will bring you into remembrance as to what they did with Christ, but should also bring you into remembrance of the original Passover how God rescued and delivered his people that were in chains to evil, oppressive folk. And so Peter is lingering in this prison under human authority, seemingly human power, and the way Luke paints this picture, insurmountable. Peter is chained to two guards behind a cell door, and two guards outside the cell guarding that. So we are getting humanity going, we're going to lock you down. We are tired of this church thing. We're about to bring all of our resources in to lock you down. I just love that picture. And what do we get with Peter? Y'all going to do what y'all going to do. I'm going to sleep. 
He is asleep. I thought about, Lord, look, Peter knew that Herod was going to bring him out in the morning and make a public spectacle. And many believe not to have a mock trial. They were going to execute him. He just executed James. Not going to have any problem executing Peter. And what is he trying to do? He is trying to break the church. He is trying to break their faithfulness. He is trying to break their trust in God. Let me tell you what Satan is trying to do. Under the watchful eyes of the Lord, can we not think it's Satan against God? It's not. It's just God. That's all it is. He sees him. He can't do what God has not allowed. If, you know, and we say, well, I was disobedient. Even in disobedience, God has to allow it over his children. Do not underestimate the sovereignty of God, please. And so here's Peter. Sleep between these two. And obviously, look, they understood. Going back to Acts before in Jerusalem. Remember when they had him in prison before? And the angels broke him out and they went back preaching that next morning. And they were like, how do you get out? Well, let's stop acting like these people don't remember things. Them leaders be like, oh, you have this propensity to get out of prison. We're going to make sure you aren't. Click, 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 click. It is, it is humanly impossible unless y'all, look, look, Peter, you better bring an army to get you out because that's the only way you're getting out. But that was the same way with the Israelites in the Exodus. There was no way they were getting out. And guess what? That's the same way for you and I when we were in our sins. There was no way you and I were getting out. And God was like, watch me work. And he says, in essence, through this whole process, he is telling the church, watch me work. It reminds me of the prophet, Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And Elijah is just, hey, hey, look, look, go on, put the sacrifice. Wait it again, wait it again, wait it again. There ain't enough water. Bring some more water. Come on, pour it on, pour it on. And God who answers by fire, and then in this confidence, boy, it just seems like almost cockiness, but it's not. In this confidence in the Lord, boom, fires. And then everyone is like, whoa, your God is God, you think? And God says here, watch me work. And he says to the church, then and now, watch me work. Don't get upset because they took out something that you thought would never be taken. That they, that, they, that they took away someone that you thought you depended on, that they removed what you had faith in so that you could see clearly that it's only God that he wants you trusting in. Some of us, God has locked us down in ways that we just go, God, what are you doing? Like, really? Like, do you even like me? And the Lord is going, I love you. Watch me work because when I finish, I want you to trust me in anything. And so when he got locked up and, and, and now they're praying and, you know, it's the wonder what they're praying for because of the response. Are they praying that people, that, that, that Peter is faithful unto death or that he's released? We don't know what they were praying for. We know by their response that we have to kind of question what you were praying for. 
But just pray. They don't get rebuked. They just pray. And so what ends up happening? Angel comes in, and I, I, I'm sorry. This, this just amazes me. This is a scene. Somebody should make this into a movie scene. I'm serious because he shows up in the cell. It says, an angel of the Lord appears. Light shines in the cell because the angel is there. Hits Peter on the side and says, wake up, put on your clothes and follow me. And I love this. It's the command from the Lord to follow him. Get up and follow me. And what happens when the Lord calls for obedience? He deals with whatever is holding you down. What happens? It says the chains fell off. Peter didn't take them off. He didn't say, wait, Lord, let me get these chains off. No, they fell off. Why? What God is telling you, everything that's happening right now has no, it is not dependent one bit on Peter. It is all God. And what he's showing you and I today, he says, look, stop trying to figure out how you're going to network your way out of this. How you going to get out? How you going to rescue? How you going to amass your friends and, and everybody? You know, God has a place when he uses people, but there are sometimes God says there is nothing that anyone can do to rescue you but me. Now, ultimately, that was our salvation. That was ultimate. That's what he did for us. He freed us when we could not free ourselves, when we had every guard in the world up because of our sin, keeping us in. And God said, I just said, follow me. Chains fell off. You got up. That's how salvation works. You responded in obedience. And so he gets up, and he begins to follow him. And they, it says, and they get past the guard, and they keep going, and they get to the front gate, and the gate opens on its own, and they walk out. And as he gets a good distance away, the angel saying, you're safe now, you don't, you don't need my intervention, you know how to walk, goes. I had one question. Was everybody sleeping in the jail? Did, did, did no one see this? Where were the folk? You had every imaginable human way to block what God wanted to do, and God was like, please. You won't even see me. You won't even know I was here until I'm done. And so he leaves. Once again, God is still in control when hardship hits. God will demonstrate to you that he is in complete control of what's happening. And so he goes out. Peter gets out. He, look, Peter is thinking, here's another one of them visions. I had one before with the sheep and the animals and the food, killing E. And Peter thought, wow, okay, God's going to break me out somehow. And, and, and he's showing me what's going to happen. Okay, do I need to decipher this? What are you saying, Lord? And he says, when he comes to himself, here's what the Lord is saying. You're out. <laughs> like, you're out. And he's standing there like, I'm out. And he heads to... I love this. He heads to where he knows the believers are. I love the fellowship of that. He went figuring out, now where am I going to go? Man, 
I got to get out of here. No, he's, I'm sure the believers are praying. And he heads over. He gets to them, knocks on the door. And I love this. And Rhoda, who is there, he hears the knock. And Peter's like, hey, come on, open up. And it goes, she recognizes his voice. How? That means that he was there a lot. People recognize your voice when they're around you a lot. It wasn't some supernatural thing. He knows Peter. Some of you, when you come up to some of your friend's house and they hear your voice, they know it's you. When you call on the phone, they know it's you. They knew it was Peter. Peter opens up in there. I mean, and, and, and here is where I actually find, what were they praying for? This is what gets me with it. Guys, for you and I. They didn't know how the Lord was going to deliver, but when the Lord chose to deliver in a particular way, they didn't believe it. Nah, come on, girl, that ain't him. And look, I know it's him. I know his voice. It must be his guardian angel. What? Y'all making stuff up, right? Because it was believed, it was believed in their circles that, that, that your guardian angel could take the form of you. Now, they had no Bible on that. This was kind of cultural made-up stuff that your guardian angel can look like you. And so they go, maybe it's his angel. Maybe God answered the prayer. And sometimes it seems so insurmountable. It seems so against us. And we pray like we should asking for God's intervention, but don't believe that God is intervening when he does. It's got to be something else. God, this ain't you. What did you pray for? That's why I asked. I have no idea what they were. they praying for God? Just make them faithful to death. God's like, he ain't dying yet. And then when he shows up, they are shocked and amazed, and they are like, wow. Once again, God's great rescue. We see that pattern happening again. God rescues wonderfully. But God's not done yet. He's not finished. He's going to deal with that threat in a little while. But Herod thought he had power. When they got up that next morning and Peter was gone, they were like, again? Y'all, I, I thought we handled this. He goes into an investigation, and here's my deal. You were using human power to destroy one of God's own, and because God worked, now he's going to allow human power to, to destroy themselves. What happens? The guards who were there, when they woke up, and or, or, or when their eyesight came back, we don't know whether they were asleep or not. The scripture doesn't say, it says Peter was asleep. We don't know if they were asleep or not, or just put in a trance. When they got up and realized that the chains were still on them, that'll preach, but not on Peter. They realized they were in trouble. And when Herod came in, he wanted blood. He wasn't going to get Peter's, so he got theirs. It says that those guards were executed. They say, well, God, have, look, look, you didn't, you didn't want God. You thought your power was enough. God showed you that your power, world, sinner, unbeliever, person against God in his church, he showed you that your power is nothing. You only do what he allows. Saints, can we remember this? if we remember nothing else, 
This world will only do what God allows. That's it. You say, well, I don't understand why he allows that. Why on earth will he take some and not the other? I don't know. But since God is smarter than me, if he's not, I don't want him as my God. If I can figure him out, if I can make up a formula and go, okay, I got you figured out. Or if I have to tell him what to do, he's not God, I am. And if my God is weaker than me, I don't want that. You want an awesome God. You want a God that can't be figured out by your little mind and thinking. You don't want a God that you can put in a package in a box and say, this is what you're going to do and here is how you're going to act. As he tells you and I that, and sometimes he does the miraculous. But as I look at this, He's set free, and Peter understands, I need to leave Jerusalem. Here's what ends up happening. The shift has begun. Peter knows, at least for a time, he has to get out of Jerusalem. And he leaves, and Herod, in his anger, goes up to Caesarea, where he has a home as well, and, and he's hanging out, and God is not done with him. Don't let the text make you think it was just because of what he did later. And so, again, God in his rescuing dealt with the immediate threat, and he's going to deal with the present threat as well. Now, Luke does not give chronological order for this. If you look at it, there's a bit of time, but, but, but Luke takes the death of Herod and brings it into the current context because he wants you and I to get closure on this era of the center being Jerusalem when God is moving it out and the center will now be Antioch. So Peter leaves and people are scattering and fleeing. The church is still there. He said, go get James, which was the brother of Jesus, half-brother. He would take the place of the other James in being a leader of the church. We get introduced to him again in Acts chapter 15 when they had the council of churches. So the half-brother of Christ, who in the beginning, remember, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, was now a firm believer in Jesus, and he became one of the anchors in the church after James, the brother of John, was killed. And so when Peter says in the text, go get James, go tell James, he's telling him, you up. You need to come to Jerusalem. You up, buddy. Get in here and lead this. And I want to tell you the faithfulness that that takes. Because, okay, look, look, look. If, if, if you knew that they had target on leaders, we have a whole lot of people. They want to be leaders. They want to be leaders until they see that first leader taken out. Ooh, wait. Hold on a second. Then they see that second leader taken out. Ooh, Lord, I sense a different calling. Ooh. What you saying, Lord? Out the city? Oh, I'm going. For James to step in knowing what happened to Stephen, to know what happened to James, the inner circle, and to know what almost happened to Peter if God had not intervened, takes great faithfulness. It takes great faithfulness because you, you, you already know you a mark, buddy. But God dealt with the immediate threat. Herod gets down, and as you read here at the end, now 20, 
Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. This was a continual fighting that he had with this group. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of, and, and, and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Stop there for a second. Now you would think that that happened kind of all at once. It didn't. Herod did die and he did die from an intestinal disease. But what God is telling you is that that intestinal disease was God driven. What happened in that time? See, Herod was feeling himself, hey, I'm going to stop this whole church thing. I'm going to stop this whole Jesus thing. I was like, bruh, they didn't stop Jesus. How do you think they're going to stop the Jesus thing? But okay, you can try. And so he gets in, and, and it is actually, history actually says, Josephus kind of alludes to this, too. I mean, tells about this. He had this robe made of all silver. And when he came out, the sun glistened on it, and he looked magnificent. But as a Jewish person, he knew from his history, when there is any kind of likening you to the God of the Hebrews, you don't embrace that. Boy, you deflected big time. And I guess he was feeling, hey, I'm it. And he accepted it. And God was like, I'm ending you. You don't take my glory. I just demonstrated myself in glorious fashion with Peter. And you think you can take my glory? I tell folk, you know, sometimes we think God is some sort of softy in the corner waiting for us to like. No. And it said the angel of the Lord struck him, said that <laughs> intestinal worms. Oh, it took a while. And here's the deal, too. All the while he is, as my, as my mother would, um, used to say, all the while that he was prancing and kimbroing. I still don't understand what that word means. As he was dancing around thinking he was somebody, God had already uh, determined you will be seen as no one. Whereas your father was allowed to have a long reign from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D., your grandfather, you got three. Once again, God's choice. Why? God's choice. God's choice. And it says, and he fell down and breathed his last. He died. Here's the important point, and we close on this. Here's the important point. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. What was their whole point? They were trying to get the word of God and, get, and, 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 and as a result, the growth of the church to be stopped. The only thing that was stopped were the people that were trying to stop God's plan. And what ends up happening? The word of God keeps growing. Why? Because that's what God intended. So when I say that the mission is unstoppable, it's because God is at work, not you and I. 
is because there's nothing that we and any outsider can do to change the fact that God has a mission. But what he's saying to you and I is, please believe it. Not because I need you to believe. No, you and I need to believe. Because God's mission will succeed. It's just, do you want to be a part of it? Or do you want to be opposing it? And so we see here, God is still in control when hardship hits. That, 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 that last line, but the word of God increased and multiplied. That means that the church grew. That means that preaching was proclaimed. That means that, God, look, 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 folk were going on from there, winning more and more people to Christ. Even though we had all this hardship and pain that happened, James's family was still hurting that James was gone, and yet they could trust in the Lord. So here's some questions I had. Herod faced divine judgment. Give me just a moment because I wrote them on an earlier sheet and I want to read them out to you. Why does God allow one faithful sister or brother to die in their struggle against this world or against illness and another to live? Why does God come to the rescue of some and seemingly not to the rescues of others who are both faithful to him? Answer, we don't know. But we must trust in his providence and his wisdom it's hard yet true. And here's the point that I got from James, and even the other James that stepped in, who he himself was also uh, martyred as well later on. The verse came to my mind about Jesus. Are we trying to save our own lives? Or are we trying to lose it for his sake? Jesus tells us the one who is seeking to save, to have his life his way, his terms, will lose it. The one who loses his life for me in following me and in serving me and putting your way and will down and embracing God's regardless of the hardship that it brings, that life will be saved. That one. And so what we see here is a picture of that. Peter, James, John, all of them were willing to lose their lives for the sake of Christ. And in the process, saved it. Another one, he tells them, do not be afraid of the one who can take your life. Remember that? Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can take your life. Humanity can. If God allows it, we can be taken out. He, well, he said, but be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That wasn't some sort of, God, you're mean. No, that was perspective. Don't worry about what someone can do to you in this life. And they seemingly have some control over this life, which they don't. 
God said, what you want, I want you to be concerned with is the one, me, who has control over all life, this one and the life to come. And he says to you and I today, that's who you fear. That's who you stand in awe of. That's who you are reverent of. I'm going to say to the person who doesn't know Christ, understand this. There is no better life, but there is no more secure life than in Christ. He doesn't guarantee that everything will go great. He doesn't guarantee that this is your best life now. As I've heard one preacher say, if you're living your best life now, that means you're going to hell. You're going to be lost with that. If, if, if this is your best life right here and not the one to come, the one to come is worse. Now, I know what people mean when they say it. They're not speaking about eternity. But understand this. This may not be your version of a best life now. It may be what God desires of you now. But understand that the best is yet to come. Most times when we say that, we're thinking of well, uh, somewhere down the line, this side of death. God says, no, it actually may be on the other side. But that's okay. Because he says to you and I, that's better for you. That's best for you. He tells us to stand strong. I am still in control when hardship hits. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.